hope you have an outline and that you will use it today. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 21 primarily, but we'll be looking at some more verses as well. God has been in the business of moving in and out of a house. It's down through the ages. When a house got dirty, God just moved out. His first house was Adam. It was a three-room house. He had a body, soul, and spirit. But you remember, Adam was told not to eat of that fruit. And in the day that you do, you will surely die. And immediately the Spirit of God departed. And he, God, moved out. His second house was a pattern house. It was the temple. It was patterned after Adam. It was a three-room house also. It had an outer court, an inner court, and the most holy of holies. But you remember there was a time when Jesus goes in there and he says it become a den of thieves. And he says your house is left to you desolate. The third house that Jesus had was his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a three-room house also. He was a body, soul, and spirit. You remember that Jesus Christ, when he was speaking about his body, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days it will be rebuilt. It will be brought back, raised up. But then it became a body that was unclean. Kent, Jesus Christ never sinned. No, he didn't. But the Bible tells us he took the sins of the whole world. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And you remember there on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God just moved out. But then God had a permanent house. It's the believer. The believer. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body. That's the believer, the born-again believer. Now God will not live in a dirty house, and He will not move out of your house my house as a believer, a follower of Christ. So what's going to happen? He'll clean house. He's not going to move. He's going to clean your house. He's going to clean my house. And so I want you, as we look at this, to know God's Word. John fourteen sixteen said that He may abide with you forever. He's not going to move out. And he's not going to live in a dirty house. Romans 4 verse 8 says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Now that doesn't mean that he'll overlook your sin. That just means it'll not be added to your charge or to my charge. But friend, God does not ignore sin. He does not ignore sin at all. And when it gets in our carnal mind, when we come to the place that we can finally realize by human 
understanding that this temple of my body and your body as a believer is the house of the Lord. It's the house of the Lord. We don't seem to understand that. People didn't understand it in Paul's day as well. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple, the house of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Goodness. That's what he's talking about. So when we can understand that, God can begin to work in our lives. I hope you have your Bible to Matthew 21. We're going to look at two verses, 12 and 13. And I want to ask you, if you would, in honor of the God who gave us this, would you stand and follow along in your copy of God's Word? Matthew 21, you know this story, verses 12 and 13. God's Word says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You've made it a den of thieves. Now I want to tell you, God's teaching us a great truth right here about our bodies. Our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Someone said in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, He has His people for a temple. That's what God does. And that's how He works in our lives. We try, if we try to make this building the temple of the Lord, we mess up and miss so much of what God's trying to tell us. You know, sometimes we want to sing, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all earth keep silent, friend. When you walk out of here as a child of God, He's still in His temple, which is your body and my body. He still dwells there. And that's what He's trying to tell us. You, if you're saved, are the temple of God. Salvation is not just simply getting God out of heaven our man out of earth into heaven, but getting God out of heaven into man. And He lives in us as born-again children of His. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray this morning as we look at Your Word, You would begin to reveal to us things that we need to know. And Father, I pray that we take the truths from Your Word this morning and that You give us new understanding and that your Holy Spirit pierce our heart with your truth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I want us to look at three simple truths this morning, and I pray that you will write those on your outline so that you can remember them. I want us to look at, first of all, the polluting of the temple. What happened in the temple in Jesus' day, when he said, you have made it a den of thieves. What happened? Well, there was a lot of things happening. One of the things was that those who were selling merchandise in the temple was beginning to get as close as they could to the main temple. And in doing so, they would get in the outer court, which was the women's place of worship. They were even taking up the place of where worship was supposed to be for themselves so they could sell their wares. 
But even worse than that, there was a group who were money handlers and money changers. And here's what happens. When a Jew came to worship God, he would not bring a Roman coin, which was all he had, to worship and to tithe to the sovereign Jehovah. He would exchange his Roman coin for a Jewish coin at a price. And then he would use that to use as a tithe or an offering or to buy sacrificial animals if he didn't have them. And then, here's what happened. Those in the temple who were taking the money and exchanging it, when the Jew would put that coin, which was a Jewish coin, in the offering plate, after he would leave, those money changers would go and take it back out of the offering and recycle it again. They had a good thing going, except God said, it's thievery, you're stealing. And so God says, you're missing what this is all about. You're bypassing God's glory and taking it for yourselves, that which belongs to the Lord, our God. Now, how can our bodies become thieves? Let me tell you how, friend. We can become a den of thieves when we do not allow God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the honor and the glory and the tribute and the praise for all that we are in our body and our mind and our spirit. We become a den of thieves when I don't allow Christ to get all that honor. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want to ask you, are you glorifying God in your body and your spirit? Are you? Is He getting all the glory? Let me tell you, a carnal Christian is a thief. I don't know any other way to say it. If my body and my life, my spirit are not used to glorify God, I'm taking the glory that belongs to God and using it for myself. Carnality makes my temple, my body, a den of thieves. That's what God's saying. That's the polluting of the temple. But now I want you to see this purging of the temple. And don't you go to sleep on me. Because this is the part I want you to hear. I want you to hear what happens. Look again in Matthew 21, 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And then John says in John 2, verse 15, when he had made a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Who did that? Jesus Christ did that. I want to tell you something, friend. In all probability, he came down off the Mount of Olives. He went through that eastern gate, that gate called Beautiful. He walked right into that temple, into the different parts of the temple there where the people were worshiping. 
And what he saw made his eyes flash and made his anger become holy indignation, holy righteousness, righteous anger at what he saw that was going on in his temple. That's a posture we don't usually want to see Jesus Christ in. We can't imagine our Savior doing something like that. But He did. Can you imagine people fleeing in all directions before Him? We like to think He is the Christ of order. Making order out of disorder and chaos. But now He becomes the Christ of disorder, making chaos out of order before all that's going on in front of Him taking a whip and driving out the people, turning over the tables, bringing chaos out of order and all that's going on. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Now let's look at him purging the temple. I want you to see some things. He does it in two ways and don't you miss it. You may be right in the middle of it right now. Listen. First of all, he did it with a whip of chastisement. Did you see that? A whip of cords, John 2, 15 says that we read a while ago. How will God clean you up? And how will God clean me up? Well, he's not going to move out. If you're saved, I'm saved. It's eternal. He's not going to leave us. But those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, the Bible says, and he scourges or he corrects every son whom he receives. You remember that whip in John 2.15? He knows how to take the whip. He knows how to get your attention. He does that. I want you to notice some things about this chastisement. First, that whip of chastisement. I want you to see this. I want you to apply it to your life. Who are the partakers of chastisement? Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, And you who have forgotten the exhortation which is, dre- which is addressed to you as sons. He's talking to his children. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You see that? And again in verse 6, he uses the word son. He's talking about his blood-bought children. He's saying, I'm going to chastise you when all the glory is not given to me from who you are. Now I want to say to you, if you're not a born-again believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, this scripture does not apply to you. It doesn't apply to you at all. People who are not followers of Christ can get away with a lot of things God's children can't get away with. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the truth. Sometimes you look at an unbeliever and they just seem to be high, wide, and handsome. Everything's going all right for them. The psalmist said in Psalms 37, 35, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a negative, like a native rather, green tree. He means they're blossoming. They're doing well. They've got everything they need. But I want you, if you're not a follower of Christ, and you're looking at some believers who seem to be having a rough time all the time, and you see things happening in their life, I want you to understand God deals with the unsaved different than He deals with the saved. He deals with them different. The sins of the saved are dealt with a lot of times right here on this earth where we live. 
And then they'll be dealt with at that time of judgment, the Bema Seat judgment, by the loss of rewards. But let me tell you how he deals with the unbeliever if you're an unbeliever. You may go a long time in this world without anything really difficult happening to you. And you die at an old age, just ripe and wonderful as it can be. But I want you to know, you will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And your judgment will be then and then eternally in an eternal ultimate hell. That's the difference in how he treats it. So listen, if you're not feeling the whip today, and you're living every which way you want to live, and you think you're getting by with it, you just need to stop and think for a minute. There's maybe some things going on that you don't know. Don't be proud about that. That might be a warning light that you don't belong to Him. And your time of judgment has not come yet. But friend of mine who's a child of God, I want you to understand He'll lay the whip on. That's the partakers of chastisement, His children. I want you to look at the promise of chastisement. Hebrews 12 verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Do you hear that? You're illegitimate children and not sons. Do you know what the old King James Version uses there? Bastards. That's what it uses in that place. That's what he's telling us. But what is the purpose of chastisement? I want you to see that. As we look at all of this, there is the promise, but there is the purpose also. It's not punishment, it's correction. The Lord corrects His own. Hebrews 11, 12 verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me tell you about that verse. You're looking at somebody who's been trained by discipline. Let me tell you what I mean. I want to tell you, my mother and daddy knew how to use a hickory switch. And they used it on me. And like that verse says, I want to tell you, I didn't look forward to it any time. I got no joy out of it at all. It's not joyful, just as God says in His Word. And I want to tell you something. Every time before they would do that to me, my mother and my daddy both would say, we're doing this because we love you. They did, every time. And they meant it sincerely. But let me tell you something. There was a time in my life where they loved me more than they loved my older sister. They loved me a whole lot. I'm not sure they loved her at all. I was getting it all. He was, they, my dad was pouring it on me and my mother would be pouring it on me. But I want to tell you today, I am thankful for God's discipline through my parents who has re- resulted in fruitfulness to the glory of God. It's what he's talking about. It's what he's talking about. Christ came to that temple with holy indignation and he was saying, I want my temple to be clean and the peaceful fruit of righteousness to be in this place. So the Lord will bring the whip of chastisement in my life. He'll bring it in your life if it's a den of thieves because he wants glory to be given to him. But not only will he 
purge the temple by the whip of chastisement. But I want you to see something else. He will do it with a work of confusion. Work of confusion. He'll turn your tables over. He'll take everything you've put in neat order and he'll just mess it up. I can tell you he'll do that. There were all the money tables. Here were the fives, the tens, and the twenties, and all the coins were counted out in like manner, and they were placed where they were supposed to be. And Jesus Christ comes into that temple, and no one dares to stand in his place, and he begins to tip over those tables. The coins begin to run all over the stone floor there in the temple. Animals begin to squawk and Animals moved and they made all kinds of noise as they began to run and people began to scatter all over the place as all of this was going on. Can you imagine that? All the bawling and the mooing by those animals and all the utter confusion. People bolting out of that place any way they could get out. Child of God, you ever wonder in your life, maybe you have to look back in the years behind you, But do you ever wonder why your well-thought-out, planned life just never seems to work out like you think? You ever think about that? Everything just flies apart instead of holding together? The Lord may be purging His temple. Listen, what we usually do is we make our plans. Plans for our career plans for our mate if we're going to be married, plans of how we're going to work and where we're going to go to school and how we're going to retire. And we never say anything to God about it except we go to Him and we ask God to superimpose His plan as our plan. He wants us, we want Him to put His stamp of approval on it. And He won't, friends. He won't. We never go to Him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, the Bible tells us. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I belong to God. Mind, will, and body, every bit of it. He is supposed to be the one that I ask plans for my life about. We never ask Him about those things. And then we wonder why it's such a mess and such chaos. Goodness, Lord, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do? Some of us this morning say, Lord, here I am. You just need to turn over my tables. You need to change my plans. You need to tell me, Kent, here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's the reason I created you, that you might bring glory to me. God's working in your temple. And he's working not to make you prosperous, are popular. He's cleaning your house, friend. He's cleaning your house if you're his child that he might be glorified. Has he turned tables on you? Is he doing a work of chastisement in your life right now where you stand, a work of confusion in your life? Because he loves you, he will not let you live in a dirty house. And he will not live in a dirty house. We've looked at the polluting of the temple, the purging of the temple. There's one last thing I want you to see. Just three simple truths out of this. 
as we look at what, how God works in his temple. I want you to see the purpose of the temple. Why did God make me and save me in the first place? There's three purposes, and I want you to see those. You write them down. When the house is purged and clean, we begin to see its purpose a whole lot better. First of all, it's supposed to be a house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. Matthew 21, 13, he said, My house should be called a house of prayer. What's the purpose of your life right now? What is God's purpose for your life right now? To be a house of prayer. We talked about that last Sunday. The suite of Roma of intercession ought to be going up from your house all the time. We talked about that and how God intends for us to do that. It ought to be continually rising to our Lord. Listen, prayer is not incidental. Not at all. It's fundamental. It ought to be happening all the time in our lives. That's the reason I exist. That's the reason for me. Let me tell you something, friend. Prayer does not equip you for great works. Do you hear that? Prayer does not equip you for great works. Prayer is the great works. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We take that as just incidental in everything, it seems like. Man ought to always pray and not to lose heart. We talked about that last Sunday. As a temple of Christ, I'm to be a house of prayer all the time. What is happening in your temple? What's happening in my temple? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. We're to come to the Lord, both hands filled with offerings of prayer, based not on what we feel, but on the merit of God. That's what it is all about. You remember this verse in 1 Samuel 12, 23? How many of us could come and confess right now if we had an altar call? Listen to what he says. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You understand that? Goodness. There's no substitute for prayer. Enthusiasm, eloquence, energy, energy, intellect. None of that is a substitute for intercession. Going before God, broken before God, on behalf of myself and those I love. Goodness. Child of God, I don't care what else you're doing with your temple. But I want you to know, if your temple is not a house of prayer, you're living in a den of thieves. And God's going to keep working on that temple till He gets your attention. It's to be a place of prayer, but I want you to see something else. It's to be a place of power. Look at Matthew 21, verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple, and He healed them. Not only is it to be a place of prayer, it's to be a place of power. That's what He's telling us. Jesus worked miracles, we're told, after that, when the temple was clean. When my temple is cleansed, there's going to be power in my temple and in your temple. Kent, wouldn't it really be something if we could begin to see blind people healed here? And if we could see deaf people given the ability to hear? And if we could see people on their deathbed being raised up? Listen, I want to say something to you. Every time Jesus Christ did a miracle in the Bible, in the New Testament that we see, I want you to understand it was a picture of a greater miracle. 
He's looking down the road at a greater miracle. The miracles of glory are never as great as the miracles of grace. We're talking about people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you understand that it didn't take anything from, for Jesus Christ to raise somebody from the dead? He just did it with a word. You know, He made the world with a word. But do you know when He saved a lost person, God had to take His Son and nail Him to a cross there in His own blood so that I could have salvation. Friend, I want to tell you, that's the greater miracle. That people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. His own blood to redeem a soul. Your soul and my soul, if you've been born again. More important than the physical healing is the spiritual healing. God didn't come to physically heal everybody. I don't understand that. He don't physically heal everybody now. But I want you to know that he's not willing that any should perish spiritually. No one. No one. My life, my temple is to be a place of power. Is yours? I ought to be an audio-visual Christian bringing people to Jesus that they might find him and not perish. A place of prayer, a place of power, and the last thing I see there, a place of praise. A place of praise. Look at Matthew 21, 15 and 16. Look at these verses. Listen to what he says. But when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children, now I want you to know those are little children. Those are boys and girls. They are youths and they're maidens. I don't see anything about older people in there. And the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. These Pharisees were indignant. They got mad, angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never heard out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise out of Psalms 8. That's where God says there is to be praise. I want to tell you that day the halls of those old temples reverberated with the hallelujah and the praises and the glory to God in that place. Those old stone walls were filled with His praises. That's what I exist for. That's the reason I'm still able to walk around on this platform. That's the reason you still can take in air and let it out. Is to praise and to honor and to adore our God, the King, the Savior of the world. Some of you have no praise. You have no praise. Aren't you tired of chastisement? And you had about enough? If you're a child of His? What about that work of confusion? You enjoy living in the middle of all that? Goodness. My body, my total being is to be a place of prayer, a place of power, and a place of praise. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Close with life application. 
Child of God, your father's not going to move out. He's not going to move. And he will not live in a house of thieves. He's going to clean it. And I want to tell you, he will clean it. He may have to take you a long ways from where you want to be, but he will clean your house. I want to so live that he don't have to do that in my life. Matthew 5.16 says, Your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But let me ask all of you, does God live in your house? Does he? Ken, I'm just going to be truthful with you. He doesn't live inside of me. He doesn't live in my spirit. Maybe you would go and say, you know, spiritually I'm just dead on the inside. I don't really have a lot of interest in it. I don't get uptight about it a lot. It just don't mean a whole lot to me. I want to tell you, Christ wants to live in your temple, in your house. Revelation 3.20, which you may know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You have to open the door. But I want to tell you, he will. He will come in if you'll invite him to. He will. Your life is a house. And when you hear that knock, you open that door as he knocks at your door. I want to read one last passage of Scripture brought to my attention some time ago. I read that passage and it just never quite hit me. But it did a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Second Chronicles 29, verse 5. You listen to this. This is Hezekiah speaking to the Levites. Hear me, Grapevine Baptist Church. That's not really in there. But I'm putting it there. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Carry out the rubbish from the holy place. I believe God wants to do that this morning. I believe He wants to do it in my life. I believe He wants to do it in your life. And I really don't know where the rubbish is in your life, but boy, God's pointed some rubbish out in my life. And I stand before you having spent some of this weekend on my knees before God saying, God, you pointed it out. Now by your power and your grace, you help me clean this out. I don't want to live this way. I don't know what God's saying to you this morning. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have an invitation.